What is it like to keep working your recovery program after divorcing the alcoholic in your life? Welcome to episode 358 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michael, Melissa, Patricia, Diane, Bianca, and Beth. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Michael, Alyssa, Patricia, Diane, Bianca, and Beth for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends of family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer and I will be your host today. Joining me today is Pat. Welcome, Pat. Thanks, Spencer. Nice to be here. Pat, would you like to introduce our topic? Life in Al-Anon after divorce. This is something that's been really on my mind lately is this whole process of going through the divorce from my first husband, who was the primary alcoholic in my life. Al-Anon has certainly figured really prominently in my life since my divorce. It's been absolutely essential that I stay in recovery and continuing to, to learn and grow and participate in the recovery community just to be a happy, adjusted, growing person. All the readings that I have today are from Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses. That's the Rainbow Tide Dyed book. <laughs> and I, you like my description? I don't think I'd heard that description of this book before. We do like to identify our books by color sometimes, don't we? Yes, we do. So I'll be reading a number of excerpts from the book. I, I do want to let you know it's not going to be straight reading through. I skip around a bit and I'll let you know what pages and the chapters are, but I won't be reading everything that's in there. So here we go. I'm going to start on page 81 at the very bottom, separation and divorce due to alcoholism can rob us of the emotional, physical, and sexual intimacies essential to a healthy marriage or partnership. Most of us tried everything to get the alcoholic to stop drinking. We prayed, cried, threatened, leave, begged, and pleaded for them to find help. We may have stood by our alcoholic spouse or significant other through countless drunken episodes and through years of verbal, emotional, or physical abuse. While we may have been devoted and dedicated to our relationship, the disease caused the alcoholic to be emotionally and physically unavailable. After much heartbreak, many of us have come to accept that we can't fix our relationship all by ourselves. We recognize that living with alcoholism has taken its toll on us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We may have never imagined we would find ourselves at the crossroads of divorce or separation, but here we are. Accepting that the relationship we once had no longer exists can be devastating. Most likely, however, we have been grieving for the loss of our relationship with the alcoholic long before it officially ended. For those of us who are parents, we may not be able to fathom taking our children away from the alcoholic parent. We may worry that it would be too traumatic for them. For others, seeing the effects of alcoholism on our children prompted us to leave. Some of us arrive at the decision quickly, but others may struggle for years. Well-meaning individuals and even clergy members may have advised us not to leave the alcoholic. 
We don't have to let other people's opinions or moral and religious beliefs determine what decision we make. Taking the advice of others to heart has led too many of us to blame ourselves for breaking up our families instead of recognizing that the disease of alcoholism was to blame. The decision to divorce or separate can often be a decision to say yes to life. In the past, we may have put our lives on hold, hoping things would get better. If only the alcoholic would stop drinking, we may have convinced ourselves, then we could be happy. Al-Anon teaches us that we are responsible for our own lives and our own happiness. We may need to grieve for all the time we spent worrying and trying to control someone else. The good news is we can now use that time for the benefit of ourselves. Uh, Paragraph from the section about when the decision to leave is not ours. Just because we didn't choose to end the relationship doesn't mean we don't have any choices. We still have the power to choose how we will respond. In the past, we may have punished ourselves or assumed our role as victims. We don't have to see ourselves as victims anymore. Today, we can choose to be around healthy people who want to be around us. I assume that at least parts of this reflect your own experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to start out by saying I never, actually never, truly, put all the blame on my first husband for the breakup of our marriage. I really fully acknowledge that the groundwork for that divorce was two people, two people contributed to that breakup. And I I was just not a particularly mature person going into that first relationship. I was 23 years old. I don't know if my parents didn't model it or if I just never picked up on it. I've always felt like I was a bit of a slow learner when it comes to social things. But I just really hadn't learned how to be a collaborative, loving, non-judgmental person. So that's the person that my first husband was married to. And there were a lot of factors that contributed to our breakup. So I thought it would be helpful to know a little bit of background going into the divorce. I had an affair. That's one thing that happened. And I'm not going to try to justify it. It was what it was. It was quite a few years before we split. One of the things that really actually made me ask him to leave was that he kept saying that every time he looked at me, he was just thinking of the affair. And the the affair was years old. I'd made amends for it. Certainly my behavior had changed. I had not done anything like that again. And I felt boxed into a hole where I had no ability to make any headway in the relationship with my ex-husband. Because every time he looked at me, all he saw was this big flaw and big mistake I had made. I actually, when we first split, I told my little brother that I thought we had 95% chance of getting back together. I really did. That was one of the prime motivators for actually finally asking him to move out. And then I also shared, it was a call in about the domestic violence episode, and it was in the reader's mail in the following episode last week about CODA. One big motivator was that I finally looked at my relationship with him and what was it like? Frequent shouting matches, foul language, accusations. My oldest child was out of the house. Our younger child was with us. And it felt to me like we were co-combatants in a combat situation where we had each other's backs. That's not really the greatest way for a 13-year-old to be dealing with the world. And it's not a great way to be parenting a teenager. And I just didn't want 
my kids to think that kind of treatment, the treatment that that my ex-husband showed towards us was okay. So I've been in Al-Anon for about nine months when we made the final decision to split. And it was right before a family vacation that we were taking to go see his family. So we went ahead and did it. And while we were on the trip, we had this just massive, I forget what it was. I don't know why. Actually, I don't know that it was massive blow up. I just know that he got angry and he left and left us at the hotel and said he wasn't coming back, said he was going to go catch a plane back up to Seattle. The kids and I actually went out and celebrated that night. It was it was really something. We mm. went down in California and we went down and we remember we got pizza. It was just this incredibly freeing lightness to think that he was not going to be with us for the rest of that trip. It was so oppressive. I don't think I actually even realized it was that oppressive. Just a funny aside, we went for a walk on the beach and we saw this kind of big blubby thing. And we thought for sure as a big jellyfish as a man of war and it might have stinging tentacles and stuff. And somehow we finally got a flashlight out or something and turned out as a plastic bag. These wonderful memories of that night. It was it's the first sign of how I really didn't realize how hard it was for all of us living in that environment. That's an experience that I had. I didn't realize how much work I was doing. I didn't realize how draining living with active alcoholism was until my wife went away to treatment and went away, like the other side of the state. And our children were 11, 11 year old twins. I was single dad and life was easier. So I, I I totally identify with that feeling of I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't know how draining it was. I didn't know how exhausting it was. It sounds like you all had that, that same kind of relief. Yeah. Then <laughs> he came back the next morning to the hotel room mm-hmm. and he and I had a talk and man, he was going to lay down the law with those kids. He was just going to really tell them what for and pull them into line. Not that they had been out of line, quite honestly. And I still find it fascinating that neither of those kids took that. Where I was just a total doormat, neither of the kids took it. He started talking and they both laid into him. And I was, I was shocked and surprised. And it was a sign of strength in them and strength of feeling and insight that I didn't have. They knew he was an alcoholic long before I was aware of it. That was when we finally actually separated. And I talked a little bit about that in that other share that I did. So I'm not going to go over that again. But when we got back to Seattle, we did break. We went and saw his family because that's what we were there for. And it was important for the kids to see his family as well. So we did that. And when we first split, it was, again, it was not with the intent of divorcing. It was with the intent of being able to work through our issues and then come back together. And when my parents split, they split and then remarried three years later. But when my parents split, my dad would come over to our house every Sunday for dinner. And that really helped maintain that relationship. And I tried to do that. The older child was out of the house. 
and the younger one was in the house and that younger child would not even stay in the room five minutes with my ex-husband. Mm. Now, and you had been in Al-Anon for a while at this point? That's a good question. I had been in Al-Anon for nine months by this point in time. In retrospect, it's a pushing that six to 12 months before you make any big changes kind of stuff timeline that we usually recommend. It sounds like you didn't really trigger the change, though. I think I did, though. Okay. I think I did. I mean, there was that blow up that you talked about. That was not something that you... That was a side event in a okay. lot of ways. Okay. It's indicative of what happened when it was going through the divorce. Going through the divorce itself, the behavior got very bad. And it's, I warn people, it's as you change, as you make decisions, as you're moving through larger changes, I have often seen in the alcoholics in my life and in other friends' experiences that the behavior of the alcoholic, as they see people getting into recovery, they can then become much escalated in their behavior. And I think that's what that whole scene down on our family vacation was about. He already knew I was asking him to move out. So we get back here and I was supposed to be in the house. He had a place to stay briefly that was outside the house. We were talking on the phone one day and he goes, I don't know why you should get the house. I think I should get the house. I said, okay, I'll find this. This shocked me. This is Al-Anon all over the place that, that never would have happened before. And I'm still shocked. It fell out of my mouth was, mm-hmm. okay, I'll find an apartment for my son and I. Our, our youngest and I, they said, no, our youngest will come with me. And I said, no, they won't. I know them. I know they won't choose to be with you. It was already obvious because they wouldn't spend five minutes in the room with him. Right. Yeah. And he knew the truth of that statement. And that's actually what got him sober for a couple of years was not me. I just think that's amazing. And it just is so much what we think of in Al-Anon. You can't control it. You can't cure it. You can't fix it. You can't get them sober. And sure enough, wife of 25 years, it didn't matter. I was not the one that was going to fix him. He had to make the choice and it was over something that was important to him. And that youngest child was important enough that he would do that for him. But the Al-Anon principles through all of this were were just really incredibly helpful that I could be calm in that situation that I could say, okay, that I could have compassion. By then I think I'd have been identifying anger as an issue. I know you've spoken about anger and I certainly had anger was a very bad knee jerk reaction to any kind of conflict or sense of being judged And by then I had enough program under my belt that I was able to hold back on those reactions and use some principles, use some pauses, use detachment with love, really recognize that any one situation at this moment has to be fixed, that it can wait, that that, that was huge, that I didn't have to fix everything right now. But it was still a real struggle. So I was apart from him. And then in February... We had been separated for about six months at that point in time. And I had another aha moment, which was, I am so happy (laughs) without this man in my house. (laughs) That was truly the moment when I decided to divorce him. And I took my wedding ring off. Our youngest's birthday was in the fall. So I 
decided that I would go through with the divorce in the fall so I didn't have to make a parenting plan. Our youngest was going to be 18 at that point in time. So I didn't have to make a parenting plan. And I I listened to so many of your people who participate in the podcast and they're making these parenting plans with folks for very young children. And I'm always so impressed. And I hear them talk about how the Al-Anon tools helps them deal with an actively drinking separated spouse and end up being good co-parents. And that is just so cool. Whenever I hear somebody talking about how getting into Al-Anon with small children, I'm so grateful for them because I didn't have that. I had children who were adults by the time I started getting it and figuring it out. That's all kind of leading up to the divorce. Like I alluded to earlier, as we approached the divorce, his behavior got more extreme and less civil. We would meet at coffee houses. That's a nice strategy is meeting in public places because it does keep things more civil. But I was getting better. Good point. I was getting better at setting um, boundaries. So when he became escalated or irrational, then I was able to just walk away. That was really helpful. Yeah, he, he could be not very nice during that time period. But once the divorce papers were signed, interestingly, boom. It was like coming out around a buoy when you're swimming in a triathlon. You just come around and all of a sudden it's open water in front of you. It's just crazy. So it suddenly was much less released. I was thinking the next thing I talk about is that this relationship with my children was not an Al-Anon based relationship. It was a, I am deep 25 years into needing recovery and, and a really sick person with a lot of issues and lack of knowledge and understanding about about what recovery is and just how to deal with life. I have the steps under my belt or the traditions under my belt, none of that stuff all through this time that I'm raising these kids. So here they're adults and I'm just this immature basket case that said slightly tongue in cheek. I don't usually put myself down that much, to be honest. But I wanted to read a little bit from Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses again, page 83. I just love this book. It is such a great book. It's really got good stuff. And it talks about all different sorts of losses Mm -hmm. that we might have. It's not a book to, to read through necessarily. It's a book to find the section that speaks to what I'm dealing with at the moment. I pulled the book out of the shelf and the bookmark is stuck. And the page is dog-eared. The chapter titled Death of a Loved One, which for me is not about an alcoholic loved one, but still what it talks about in here is just as relevant. Our losses can be any range of things. It can be that fantasy family you thought you were going to have. It can be relationships Mm -hmm with friends or sponsors. There's any number of ways that we have loss in our lives. I think this book just does a really nice job. Each chapter has its title and its written part, and then it has shares from members. And a couple of the shares from members, I was like, my God, I could have written that verbatim. They're just right on it, which made me feel really, it was hard recording this episode or planning for it because It's so easy to get mired in self-doubt and self-criticism when I look back like this and think about 
the process of getting to where I am now. And so it's really, it's that thing that you often hear. I walked into the room of Al-Anon and I was not alone and I wasn't nuts and I wasn't the only person who was going through what I was going through. That's one of the real beauties of Al-Anon. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in here. Anyway, you have a reading. Page 83, healing our relationships with our adult children. Whether or not the alcoholic finds sobriety or whether or not we stay in the relationship, we still have to face the effects of alcoholism on our children. In Al-Anon, we learn that we cannot control the choices of our adult children. As parents, this can be especially difficult to accept. After all, when our children were young, we were responsible for their welfare, making decisions we believed were in their best interest. Once our children are grown, it can be challenging to let them make their own decisions, especially if we view those decisions as potentially unwise or harmful. This doesn't mean we ignore problems as they arise. We can still express our concerns if asked, but we don't have to solve every problem they encounter. Our impulse to rescue our children may actually prevent them from finding their own solutions. What we can do is turn our children over to our higher powers care. It can be easy to blame ourselves for our children's problems, especially once we become aware of the damaging effects of living with alcoholism. We may question the job we did as parents, wondering if we didn't protect our children enough or protected them too much, if we were too hard or too easy on them. Because we spent so much time focusing on the alcoholic, we may wonder if we devoted enough of our energy to our children. Our concerns may be compounded if our children blame us for their problems. Guilt over past mistakes can keep us trapped. It helps to have compassion for ourselves and our children, even if we made mistakes in the past. We didn't cause anyone to become an alcoholic, including our adult children. We simply don't have that kind of power. We can remember to forgive ourselves. We can accept that we did the best we could at the time with the resources we had. Today, we can make a commitment to do things differently. How can we be there for our children today? We can offer our love, support, and encouragement. We can model a healthier way of life. We can talk openly with them about the mistakes we made. We can listen without getting defensive if they want to talk about their childhoods. We can allow room for their feelings and experiences, even if we see these things differently. So my daughter, our oldest child, left the house just about as soon as she could, right after high school, moved out and moved in with friends and was going to community college. It was a lot about learning to let them make their own decisions. Initially, I I don't know how many Al-Anon books I gave to them, Mm. get them into Al-Anon. And I'd talk with my older child and they'd be telling me about a problem and I'd always come up with solutions. And I don't know how many times she said it to me, but finally I heard her one time say, I don't want you to fix things, mom. I, I just want you to listen. And once I got that, then, you know, that was okay. I knew what she wanted and needed and I was able to do that and then stop trying to expect myself to make things so much better. And I really learned to support their decisions with respect to their dad. The older one went one direction and the younger one went the total opposite direction. Mm. The older one completely rejected them. She at one point in time allowed for maybe a possible beginning of a relationship 
but found out that he had gone back to drinking. That was her boundary. That was her limit. If there was any alcohol involved at all, she didn't want to have anything to do with him. So she ended up truly grieving through entirely. Interestingly enough, in the last couple of years said to me, no, I can finally really think about him and remember the good things that we did together. And I'm not angry anymore. And I feel like I've gotten through all of that and took a long time, mm-hmm. but she did it in her own way, in her own time. The younger was, although initially resistant, became very close to their dad I remember getting a call from them when they were about maybe 18 or 19. My ex-husband didn't have any income. He had the minimal amount of social security that um, he could get. He was pretty much unemployable in large part because of cerebral atrophy from alcoholism Mm. and called our youngest and said, I don't have a place to stay. Can I come stay with you? So I got a call from my youngest and he told me this. Yep. Dad called and said they don't have a place to stay and they, he wants to come stay with me. And again, I'm so grateful for these key moments where I had some program. And instead of going off, I said, what do you think? Yeah. And he said, I don't think in this country we support our elderly enough. I think it's important to take care of our elderly. And I said, okay. That's fine. Let him make his own decision. The one thing I did say at some point in time was, I I understand what you're saying about people not being able to manage for themselves and we should take care of them. I said, I don't know that your dad is at that point yet. But that's all the more I said. Over a period of several years of living with his dad on and off and also with a girlfriend then came to the same conclusion. It meant something to them because they didn't hear it from me. They found out for themselves and they were able to make that judgment for themselves. And that was really important. At the same time, they developed this loving relationship. Yeah, that's been my experience with my kids to some extent. Particularly one of them has to come to their own understanding. It doesn't seem to matter what I say, how I say it. If it doesn't match their understanding of the world and, and their place and their experience, then they're not going to take it in. And then something happens and they're like, oh, okay, that wasn't so good. Maybe I should do this other thing. <laughs> and then it works. And sometimes, to be honest, it's a suggestion or a recommendation that I have made quite literally years and years earlier. And it sticks around in their brain. And at some point in time, it connects and they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I can use that tool at this point in time. I think in terms of Al-Anon tools, the real bottom line for me is treating them with the kind of respect I want to be treated with. And then I want to treat any other adults with and having humility. When I want to give advice, I'll say it once, maybe twice. (laughs) But then I let go of the outcome Yeah, and not being defensive. Like the reading said, I've had some really great conversations recently with my youngest in particular about growing up. What was it like growing up? Some of it was rough, but it's also really a joy to hear them talk about it. And if you only listen to the podcast, you'd think it was just a God awful situation, but there was a lot of joy and a lot of fun and a lot of positive 
and they remember that and have great value for the life that we did give them that was positive. And my ex-husband was part of that too. Sure. I think that's a lot of, with divorce, you, I don't know that it's so much, it, and you're not living with the person, but you still have all these aspects of interacting with them if you're choosing to interact with them. And, and, and I think even if you don't, you still have, I don't know exactly what to call it. I could call it baggage, but I don't think it actually is. In your case, you're 25 years of your life with this person mm-hmm. in good times and in not so good times. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, there's history there. History. There's a good word. And it's easy to get imbalanced in how you remember that. For sure. I'll just say that just to not be too long about this, there's two other aspects. One other big aspect is dating again, Mm. going out again. I know we're not supposed to give advice in Al-Anon, but man, I tell you, give yourself a break. (laughs) Give yourself some time. I went diving smack down right into another relationship and was fortunate enough that it worked out really well. But it's kind of like a geographic cure. Going from one person to the next, who's there with you? Yourself. You're still there. You're still yourself. You still got to be. It, it's just, I have to work on Elon. I have to come to Elon to be a good partner. And I'm such a better partner. I am so grateful to my poor first husband who had to put with me as a non recovered person, whereas my now husband has this wonderful recovered person who still has slips and is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but has all those tools of recovery under my belt that helps me be a really great spouse. I think I'm a great spouse. The other thing, just to wrap up the story of my ex-husband is he actually ended up with a terminal illness. It's funny in the books, you read a lot about death from alcoholism. It's what is that death? And yeah, it might be pancreatitis, might be a GI bleed. It could be cancer. There's all kinds of diseases that go along with alcoholism and smoking. He had cancer of the throat. And what I'm really just so grateful for is that because of Al-Anon, I was able to have a positive, loving relationship with him at the end. He had a forced sobriety. He drank up until the day that he had an emergency tracheostomy. So he had a forced sobriety, but I have a lovely memory of sitting in the skilled nursing facility with him just two visits before the last looking through pictures. I brought a bunch of pictures from when the kids were little and what a joy. And he thought he was being sneaky. He went through and they'd take one, he'd put it under his leg. (laughs) I was so sweet. It was just so lovely. It's such a great memory to have been with him and and loving him, not as a spouse, but as a family member, as someone right, who right. I knew so well, warts and all. And I was actually with him when he passed. Hmm. I'm so grateful for Al-Anon because I could not have been that person with him for both myself and him and my children, the youngest of whom was very involved at the end, very supportive. There's just a couple things in here I wanted to read, and it morphs into dealing with death and dying, but it's just a few thoughts that I thought would be a nice wrap-up. 
Oh, the one other thing I'll say is that when he was still relatively healthy and after we divorced, we'd talk every once in a while. And he did still have times when he called me and I'd be like, what the heck? He made, he was perfectly rational the last, how many times I talked to him and suddenly he calls up and he's just bizarre, just didn't make sense at all. And I, and it really took a long time. And then I realized in talking with Francis, oh, it was either a dry drunk or he's back drinking again. One or the other. Did it matter? Not really. I just dealt with it in an Al-Anon fashion. But that was an impact. And I, and I would not be surprised if that's a common experience is people getting phone calls and people are just not fully in their mind. At any rate, back to the book we've been reading from the section on death of a loved one. Just some highlights. When our loved one dies without sobriety, lost to is any hope that the alcoholic would find help. We grieve for the relationship we yearned for with our loved one and for the many ways alcoholism has affected our lives. Our feelings of relief don't mean we didn't love the alcoholic. Perhaps our relief is a sign of compassion for one who is no longer suffering. Perhaps we're relieved that we ourselves have been set free. Though we may never be entirely prepared for the reality of any death, facing a suicide or sudden death carries its own particular weight. We are robbed of the chance to say goodbye to our loved one, to deal with any unfinished business that may have been lingering between us or make amends. We may vacillate between blaming the alcoholic and ourselves. We can't help but feel as if our loved one's death could have been avoided. If only we had tried harder, we tell ourselves. Maybe we could have prevented this. If only I had pushed more. If only I hadn't pushed so much. If only the alcoholic wasn't so stubborn. If only... If our loved one has just recently died, the thought of delving into our unfinished business may feel daunting right now. Any outstanding issues we may have had in our relationships will still be there tomorrow, next month, next year, or until we are ready and able to deal with them. Taking a four-step inventory and sharing it with our sponsor or trusted friend can help us see how we might have contributed to any difficulties in our relationship. Yet we need only accept responsibility for our own actions. When someone dies, we can easily glorify their good qualities and temporarily forget their faults. We can remind ourselves that whatever issues existed had to do with both people and were not solely our responsibility. Though our loved one is no longer with us physically, we can still make amends if we need to. And I think that's where both the violence and domestic chaos episode came in for me and CODA to some extent in that I spent so much of my life being only happy if I could make my alcoholic happy and then was just devastated when he didn't remember all the wonderful things I'd done for him. Mm. Now as we're coming up on two years anniversary of his death, I found that a few months ago I started having this just unsettled undefined feeling and finally recognizing that it was around my relationship with him. And I was sliding into that kind of glorification and really profoundly questioning my role. It just took some time and some good Al-Anon work to put that back in perspective. I did a semi-step four around it with my sponsor and that was really helpful. And then I just have to be really appreciative of this opportunity Spencer, because doing this whole process has been really healing for me and really positive experience. Sort of setting out the whole thing 
for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's been really good, Alan, on work. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Wow, that, there was a lot. There was a lot in there. I know. <laughs> a lot of stuff happened. I can see, as you said, a lot of the ways in which you continued to need your recovery program. Mm-hmm. Not just because he was still there. There was a bit in the reading, I think, where you read about the unresolved issues and unfinished business that was like, oh, yeah. So you had really unfinished business after the divorce, too. What changes with death is the possibility or the ways in which you can deal with it. I think when Mm -hmm. somebody's alive, you still maybe have a hope that things can be resolved with the other person, however realistic or unrealistic that expectation might be. When they're gone, that's gone too. That's a book talks about creative means of making amends. And I think that's true of anybody that we lose. I know I ended up making amends to my parents who had long passed by fortifying and using Al-Anon principles in my relationships with my siblings, none of whom are alcoholics, but by using the principles, Mm. it made a huge difference in my relationship with my siblings. Yeah. That reading also talked about sometimes a feeling of relief. And I experienced some of that when my father died. I had been grieving the loss of the man that I knew for a couple of years as he slipped further and further away from us. There were at least two aspects to that relief. Uh, One is that I didn't have to experience this continuing loss anymore, but also that his life in the last year, months at least, was not easy. The disease that he had can linger on and on and that he didn't have to do that is it's a blessing really doesn't mean i'm happy he's gone those are two completely separate things really it just sits alongside it the other thing in this book that that i just opened the page up i think i had a have a sticky in there and it talks about the little things i can handle this but Sometimes the culmination of all the little changes I haven't addressed hits me all at once. It's often these little changes that catch us by surprise. And many of the losses in my life, I've experienced that. When my kids went off to college. It wasn't that they were gone from the house. That was big and obvious, and I knew I had to deal with that. But not buying soy milk at the grocery store just hit me. The kid who can't drink regular milk is no longer in the house. Ah, And this thing that you did of doing an inventory, I think, that sounds like a really solid, a really good tool. I find inventories always help put things in perspective. Right. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Today's reminder, with the help of this program and my HP, I take charge of fashioning, shaping, choosing what of life I will have from in all our affairs. Thanks. 
After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. You said earlier, I think before we started recording, that you had a lot of fun picking music. So why don't you tell us about your first selection? The first song, which you can listen to on the website at recovery.show slash 358, is Aretha Franklin's Respect, which was written by Otis Redding. It was the last stanza that I really liked, other than the whole song's just a great song. But start when you come home, or you might walk in and find out I'm gone. I gotta have a little respect. And I found respect and humility as defined by Al-Anon, which is an even playing field. A circle, you did that wonderful show on a circle of chairs. Those were really the keys to moving past the divorce and into a healthy, loving relationship with both my ex-husband and the kids. You might find I'm gone to me includes the emotional distancing that can happen in a relationship. I think before I ever divorced my first husband, there was an emotional detachment that was very extreme. And I think that can happen between parents and kids. I think it's been there to some extent with my kids. That was just a reference that I was thinking of with you got to have it at home. You got to have respect at home. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. How have we experienced recovery this week? So I was thinking back. I didn't actually get a chance to do this in the last episode. Um, We talked so long, I just totally ran out of time and energy. (laughs) So I left it out. So I suppose I have more than a week to, to think about. But just looking at the last week, last Saturday, First Saturday of the month, I know I've said this before, we're working out of the Blueprint for Progress, and the the topic of the day was responsibility. The question, what have I learned about responsibility by doing this inventory? And I went actually back to the chapter in the book and looked at the questions there. One was, what did you learn about responsibility as a child? And one of the things I learned about responsibility as a child is that Somehow I was supposed to be responsible for everybody else's feelings. Sets me up for being a perfect codependent that way. I learned it honestly from my mother, who never really rid herself of that, even when she was at the point where it was painful and difficult for her to do things. She still tried to do things for other people. She still would wanted to get up and get the ice from the fridge. She couldn't stand up tall enough to reach the ice in the fridge but she still wanted to get it. Okay. That's what I learned there. Al-Anon really helped me to put a boundary on what I'm responsible for. And the other thing, I think it was about being accountable to myself, being responsible for my own happiness, for my own recovery, which is not so much about how I was, but how I am now. It was a really good meeting. It was a lot of good share. It's funny. We have two Zoom rooms for that meeting because there's that many people. So one of them was a step. I think they were on step five. And then this one was the the step four blueprint for progress meeting. A couple of months ago, one person accidentally came into that room instead of the other room and decided that actually this was a really good place to be. (laughs) The book is scary for many of us. It was scary for me. And when I first heard about that table that did 
did that book, I was like, I'm not going to do that. But then I did. And I was like, no, this is really good. I think it echoes my experience of having done the steps with a group several times that I get to see just how human I am, both positively and negatively. I'm just human, just like you. Rather than if I'm sitting by myself looking at these questions and thinking how awful I am, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm just human. So that's, it's really powerful. The other thing that happened also on Saturday, it was a Michigan State Al-Anon and Alateen convention. They're 47th, I think. I've been doing it for a while. And that was on Zoom, so I didn't have to drive anywhere. It didn't have as many workshops and stuff as it would have had if it was in person, but there were over 100 people online at the times that I was there. Had some good speakers. There was a, was a panel in the morning about how, I forget the exact title, it was something about Al-Anon and the pandemic. I think it was pretty wide open. How has the pandemic affected your program? How has your program helped you to to live in the pandemic on whatever people wanted to talk about. And there were four or five people on the panel from different parts of the country. And that's another thing that we have seen in this Zoom meeting age is, is the diversity of people that we can get in one place without us having to get on an airplane or get in a car for several hours or whatever. Somebody in Arizona, somebody in Louisiana, several people in Michigan, because it was the Michigan Convention. But So that was really interesting. There was an Alateen speaker who did a nice share, and then in the evening there was an Al-Anon speaker. I skipped the, the AA speaker because I had something else going on, which, again, I could do. Actually, if this had been at the place where they had been planning to hold it, which was a water park, I might have spent the afternoon in the water park anyway. <laughs> Was it warm enough there to do that? Since indoor water park. Oh, it's okay. northern Michigan. It doesn't get very oh, warm there, there very much go. of the time. So it's an indoor water park. And and the evening speaker was really good. I was really glad I was able to go to that. So that was a whole day of recovery, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then outside of recovery, I've spoken before about a coworker with whom we have issues with each other. He reached out and said, I want to meet with you every other week for 30 minutes to talk about how we're doing. And I was like, okay. <laughs> my Al-Anon program said, yes. Okay. <laughs> my my emotion said, sigh, not looking forward to. So we had that conversation this week and it was kind of mixed. He called me out on a couple of things that I had done interacting with him. He felt I had been harsh and I had to admit that that I had. We talked about what was going on. And I think I did try to, I don't know, you tell me. Okay, so one of them, he felt that I had come down harshly on him for something that he said. And what I said was, I would have done that no matter who it was that said it. But I hear how that made you feel. And so I need to work on not reacting that forcefully, no matter who it is, whether it's you or somebody else. And I still look back at that and I'm like, was I making an excuse? Was I trying to explain myself? Was I trying to justify my action? And I think there was a little bit of that, but I was also trying to say, this is my thing that I know I have to work on. 
it's something I've been working on, something I've been asking my higher power to have her help with for, well, I haven't quite been in the program that long, but it's something I've known I had to work on for a couple of decades at least. And came into Elnon and I have tools that actually help me to, to do it, but it's slow recovery. I get from that story that you were, what you're trying to say to this guy is, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> I actually said that. I did say it like almost in those exact words. And that's actually really legitimate. It tells him this is not targeted at you. I didn't react to just your personality, which if you guys have pre-existing challenges, then. Yeah. But I makes- also needed to validate what he felt in that interaction. I think that's what I learned from Alan on too. And that helps with my kids too. Helps with my wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> helps with all the people in my life. How about that? Oh, what a surprise. Yeah. How about you? How's recovery working for you recently? Good in that I worked through all these issues just recently. Yeah. Not so good. It was a rough week. There were a lot of kind of emotional issues that happened in my life and it came out at work. And I think I ended up in a couple different situations being rather shrill. And mm, okay. <laughs> ugh, I hate that. Shrill and reactive. And I could totally, after the fact, look at it and say, oh, I could have worded it differently. I could have responded differently. I could have had a completely different affect. That was hard because then, of course, after that, I'm beating myself up for it. I did, thankfully, have the opportunity to make amends. It was funny because I have a, a position where I'm roving around our institution and happened to be back into the area where I had been earlier and heard behind me just around the corner where they couldn't see me talking. Oh boy. (laughs) About the situation. I had gone to a coworker in a private space said, I'm recognizing that I'm really going down this road. It's a part of me. I don't like Good God, I'm 62 years old for Pete's sake. I shouldn't still be doing this. And she was able to help put it into context for me. By the time that I overheard the coworkers talking, I was like, okay, take a nice big swallow, walked over there and said, I think I need to get in on this conversation. So that was really gratifying because they're very lovely people and very forgiving. And within the context of, the last year alone, not to mention, you know, anything else that might be going in someone's life. They were very sweet and forgiving. And I felt, okay, these are people I have to see intermittently for the rest of my work career, probably. Mm-hmm. So it was good that way. And again, grateful for Al-Anon. Yeah, I think I'm just trying to really uh, stick with the program and not sliding into the beating myself up a bit much. Today, I'm feeling much more even keel and back in balance, but it's been a little challenging. The year has been challenging. It has. I get a daily newsletter from the New York times. And a few weeks ago, they had an article about languishing that many of us have been languishing this year. Mm. It's an interesting word (laughs) today. They had an article about flourishing as an antidote to languishing. Uh And there was some discussion about things you can do to move yourself towards experiencing that more in your life. They also had a a quiz 
you can take a scale of one to 10. How do you feel on this and this and this and this? And then it, it comes up and says, and in my case, at this point where the sun is coming back, it's getting warmer. I'm vaccinated. My father died removing actually a big weight from me that I didn't know was there. I have a lot more energy than I did three months ago for many reasons. I came up like 70% flourishing. I was like, okay, I think I'm doing okay. Uh, There are still days. Mm -hmm. And I know some of it's external and some of it's internal, but I'll, I'll try to put a link to those two articles. Hopefully they're not behind their stupid paywall in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 358, which also is amazing. 358 episodes. Wow. Truly amazing. <laughs> I can't believe it sometimes. What a body of work, Spencer. Oh, yeah. Speaking of episodes, what's coming up? We're going to talk about the effects of recovery. And the person who suggested this and the person with whom I'm talking said, basically, how have you replaced or how have the effects of alcoholism been changed or replaced by the effects of recovery? So I'm putting that question out. But however you want to take that phrase, the effects of recovery, we can welcome your thoughts, join our conversation, send us a voicemail or an email. And Pat, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. Or you can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. Or you can send a voice memo or email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd really love to hear from you. The more voices, the better. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of life in Al-Anon after divorce, or any of our upcoming topics, including how the effects of alcoholism have been replaced by the effects of recovery. If you have a topic you'd like to talk about, let us know. If you'd like advance notice for some of our topics, so you too can contribute your voice to that topic, you can sign up for our mailing list by sending an email to feedback at therecovery.show. Put email in the subject line and it'll make it easier for Spencer to spot. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, that, of course, would be our website, which is therecovery.show, where we have all the information about the show, which includes notes for each episode, links to the book set, the book mainly that you read from, videos for the music that you chose, and links to some other recovery podcasts and websites. We'll take a little break before we look at the mailbag. But what's our next song? Oh, the next song is Lump. <laughs> I'm not familiar with this song. I don't think. I'm just thinking about it. It's terrible. It's written by Jason Finn, Dave Anderer, and Chris Ballou, who are the presidents of the United States of America, the band. I, I really hope I don't insult anybody with this song choice, but it's putting a light spin on a pretty serious topic, but I think it's just about the funniest breakup song that was ever written. They spend the whole song being really mean in their description of how awful this person is, how she's just a lump. But at the end, they can't help the fact that their relationship with her was important and they're having a tough time moving on. It was also a song that my youngest used to listen to quite a bit. 
And so one day I had an aha moment when we were listening to it. And I was like, oh, it's a breakup song. And he had not figured that out. So I totally ruined it for him. But the, the lyrics are pretty simple. And the part that I chose to uh, highlight is she's lump, she's lump, she's lump, she's in my head. And at the end, they say, is this lump out of my head? I think so. And they say that four times. I don't think they have it out of their heads. <laughs> it just cracks me up. I love it. And the video is really fun, too. So All right. there you go. Now let's hear from you. We got several voicemails and emails about the domestic violence episode with Kathy and the episode with Geraldine. Colleen left us a voicemail. Hey, Spencer and company. This is Colleen from East Tennessee. It's been a while since I've called in, but I have gotten back into listening in the last couple of months, and I am so grateful to have returned to this space. And I so wanted to call for a couple of reasons. First, Spencer, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your father. My condolences there. And I have been thoughtful of that, even though I have been away from the show. I appreciated the conversation on domestic violence. And one of the things that I wanted to share, just as an observation, I've done a lot of work in domestic violence. And I'm also a survivor myself to be careful when considering therapy, especially with regards to couples counseling. In fact, it is not encouraged to do couples counseling because often the perpetrator uses that space to gather information that is then used against the victim. That's something to think about. But I also wanted to share, was listening to... I'm not sure which episode. It's pretty recent, managing our unmanageability or something. And it's your Zoom share that you played for us. And you talk about financial insecurity, the fear of financial insecurity and not looking at numbers. And, oh, my gosh, I just that that has historically been me. I can relate to that so much. I used to have stacks and stacks of unopened bills. And I just love the reminder of going to Tradition 7. It just reminds me of the principles that we can learn in the traditions. Anyway, I needed a meet. I'm like off to a meeting right now, but I needed a meeting an hour ago. And so I turned to the recovery show and it was a great idea. And now I'm off to my other meeting. So thank you so much for this space, for continuing to be here. I am grateful. Colleen, thank you for that. And thank you for that bit of warning advice, maybe. Thanks. Diane writes about episode 356, domestic violence and unacceptable behavior. Thank you again. Wow. 356 is so powerful. I've already shared it with two friends. I said, in my opinion, this site is great. Search any subject. Life 101 things I never learned. Both thank me. One listened right away and asked if they could share it. I said, yes. God bless you. Blessings to you, Diane. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Debbie writes, Spencer and Kathy, I cannot tell you how deeply I resonated with the episode on unacceptable behavior. I've been married to my husband for 13 years. We are both in our 60s. And since the first week of our marriage, I realized he was not the man I dated. 
Neither of us are alcoholics or addicts, but I know I struggle with codependency and he totally denies any character defects of his own except when it's to make me feel bad for his willful neglect and disrespect of me as a person. He flies into a rage for no apparent reason. My first experience with this was in the first month of our marriage. He either breaks things in the house or on a few occasions he threw my dog across the room. He threatens divorce, he hurls expletives and insults at me, and the next day it's as if it never happened. No apology, no remorse, no explanation for what the hell just happened. Nothing. I've even gotten brave to ask what was it I said or did to deserve that kind of treatment. He'll say it was nothing I said or did, but he won't discuss it further. Sometimes when I ask him a question, and I know he's heard me, he simply doesn't answer. I've called him out on that a few times and again, no response. When I try to have a deeper conversation about us matters, he looks at me like I have three heads, or he deflects with comments like, Oh, so what else have I done wrong? But nothing ever gets addressed, nothing ever changes. Once when I expressed a sad feeling about our marriage in our earlier years, he simply asked if I was insane, and he was serious about that. If something is important to me, he will find a way to put it down or dismiss it. Not always, but usually. When Kathy talked about the confusing good times, I could definitely relate. A few months after we married, at age 50, I was hit with a ton of symptoms of fibromyalgia. Not just severe pain issues, but cognitive ones as well. I've never been able to even begin to recover physically because I live in survival mode and constant stress will trigger fibro flares. Last year I had to retire from my bookkeeping business, so moving out and starting over is not an option because I have no income. As a couple of counselors pointed out to me, what we have is a business arrangement, not a marriage. He seems to be perfectly content with this. His idea of quality time together is that we share the same address. The loneliness is painful. On top of all this, he suffers from anxiety and panic attacks on occasion. So not only do I feel that I have to be mindful of my own health, but I also need to be mindful of not triggering his anxiety. Otherwise, it will not bode well for me, as you might expect. I feel trapped. We actually attended marriage counseling for a year or so, and he went along. But the good we may have gained didn't last long because he loathes counselors and anyone telling him what to do. I stopped attending church a long time ago because I felt we were just pretending to be a nice Christian couple when, in reality, the switch could flip on the way home from church. I was tired of perpetuating the lie. I feel I can't be honest with friends who see him as this wonderful man. Part of me wants to scream, this is killing me. And the other part of me feels guilty for not being more grateful for the things I have, like a roof over my head and three dogs I absolutely adore. I attended CODA for a couple of years, but I just feel that as long as I can't move out and as long as he denies the existence of any problems, it's really futile to continue. It's exhausting and depressing to attend meetings and not see improvement or even a way out. Anyway, I just wanted to thank you for this profound episode. While it doesn't change things, it is a bit of relief to know I'm not the only one grateful for you and what you do here, Debbie M. Thanks for writing, Debbie. For me, even though my situation didn't change for a while, in fact, got worse for a while. Attending meetings gave me some peace of mind, gave me the ability to live in a bad situation without taking myself down so far. Mallory writes, Good morning, Spencer and The Recovery Show. Thank you, Spencer and Kathy H. for The Recovery Show and the Unacceptable Behavior Podcast, Episode 365. I recently found the recovery show to begin working with the Al-Anon program in a time of COVID. I've not made it to an in-person meeting as of yet. Kathy H.'s podcast was God's timing for me. As I write this, the recovery glasses are on as I 
have become aware of the denial I've lived in and with an alcoholic and emotional abuse. A bit of background, I'm a child of two alcoholics, one who went through AA and one who did not. My father died when I was 11 and my mother when I was 23. My mother was emotionally abusive. The Unacceptable Behavior podcast supported what I had been reading concerning the long-time behavior in my marriage with my spouse and myself. The Fun House has been going on for over 20 years. I, too, have vacillated about staying or going, feeling like I am the crazy one. It is my fault, and what the heck is going on? I will be bringing these questions to my therapist, just as Kathy H. described. I need the hard truths in order to make decisions for my own emotional and physical well-being of my sons and myself. God is placing certain resources in my path for my healing. I knew something was off or wrong from the very beginning of this relationship and ignored or denied the signals. Being loyal to a fault, I've taken my vows seriously and have refused to give up. Now, after almost 21 years of marriage and 23 together, I'm beginning to see the patterns and behaviors I denied were not and are still not acceptable. This podcast and episode are more of these resources. As a people pleaser, a worker, and a true caregiver, I just want to help, yet I cannot help my spouse. I can only help myself. I worry of the damage and learned behaviors we have demonstrated to our 18 and 16-year-old sons, yet I have to start somewhere. Thank you for this program as a support to my recovery. Kathy H., thank you for sharing your experience as it had validated my own and to face some tough questions that need to be addressed for myself and my life. My recovery has just started, and I know it will not be an easy one. I hope I have the strength to educate and support my two sons to stop the cycle from both my own upbringing and my spouse's. The Unacceptable Behaviors podcast is one I will be re-listening to as I move forward. So thankful for both of you. Blessings, Mallory. Thank you, Mallory. Cynthia left us a voicemail. Hello, Spencer. This is Cynthia from the Pacific Northwest, and I'm calling to comment on the last two episodes that you did about unacceptable behavior and then Geraldine's story. I appreciate you putting these programs together. I think that the gnarly side of dealing with narcissists and sociopaths who may present as alcoholics is something that can be of great help to explore. And also, just speaking more personally, that when I first came into Al-Anon, I used the Al-Anon program as a way to keep myself in my abusive marriage to a narcissist. My alcoholic background, my codependent alcoholic background from my family of origin, and the fact that there was a lot of alcoholism and codependency in my ex-spouse's family of origin made me believe that the Al-Anon approach could be applied to my marriage. And there is quite a bit in our literature that encourages codependents to recognize that the alcoholic feels bad about his behavior and he has a disease and I shouldn't add my condemnation to his self-condemnation. Being codependent, I took those at face value and didn't explore the possibility that it was not the case. And so this discerning of is the person you're involved with an alcoholic or mentally ill or a sociopath or a narcissist, et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank, is something that 
highlights our need to have our program be about our own recovery. Because in the final analysis, we each have to decide for ourselves what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior, whether the behavior is motivated by untreated mental illness or alcoholism or addiction or any of the above or all of the above. By delving into the program and getting stronger and healthier, we can make the decisions that we need in order to have the life that we would like to have to build that happy, joyous, and free life. I did end up leaving my narcissistic ex-husband and implementing no contact eventually after the violence and dysfunction had reached a fever pitch and the collateral damage to my children had really already taken place. I was not able to extricate myself from the relationship sooner, but that is okay because I am recovering little by little and I have recovered so much and now I would not be vulnerable in the ways that I was because of my recovery. So I just want to thank you so much for your show and to encourage anyone that is dealing with unacceptable behavior or a possible sociopath who is, you know, utilizing you as a resource, as a fuel source to delve into your recovery as your own treasure and not related to saving or discerning what is happening in a relationship. Because the relationships that we get to have once we are recovered are the icing on the cake, not what the point is. I'm so grateful for Al-Anon, and I just wish love and light to everyone out there. God bless. Thank you for sharing your experience, Cynthia. Thank you. A.B. writes, Dear Spencer, greetings. I just listened to your episode featuring Kathy H. about domestic violence and unacceptable behavior. I haven't listened to the podcast in a while. I've been very focused on my recovery and another 12-step program and just now feel ready to embrace and return to my Al-Anon resources. I am so grateful that you produced this episode and so grateful for Kathy's service. I am in the process of ending an eight-year relationship with the father of my three-year-old daughter. We are both sober alcoholics. The layers of denial and coping mechanisms that kept me knowing but not knowing that I was in an abusive relationship is so visceral. I am just now feeling safe enough to acknowledge the danger and reality of what I have been through and to understand it was abuse. For me, it was survival to not acknowledge certain behaviors that were going on because my partner made me feel more unsafe when I confronted these behaviors. It fed an already ironclad tendency in me to keep up appearances and do a lot of work to make a relationship look functional, even though it felt and was just the opposite. Cue all of my controlling character defects. From the moment we began our relationship, I knew something was wrong with our dynamic. I knew I felt fear, and I knew I felt frozen in that fear and trapped. I really related to Kathy's story in many ways. I definitely feel like cleaning up my side of the street was a turning point from victimhood to acceptance, and the 12 steps were crucial to this for me. Ironically, surrender was what helped me finally find the courage to tell my partner I wanted to separate. 
My higher power does for me what I cannot. And again, I am taught that drawing boundaries, standing up for myself, and asserting my needs are not about learning how to be tough and fight, but just the opposite, to turn it over and surrender to what I can't control. I don't feel safe enough with my partner to be clear and honest about the reasons for our split. His anger, the lack of support and contribution I feel in child-rearing, chores and finances. But I am learning that in some situations, it's really not important to bend over backwards being honest about my every reason. In fact, it's not safe to do so. The more the 12-step work helps me build my self-esteem, the less I feel the need to explain when I follow my intuition. I hope listeners who are facing this situation get comfort from the message that they are not alone, and also that if they have felt so torn between their intuition and their investment in the relationship, that this, in my experience, is part of the disease of perception and gaslighting that goes on in these circumstances. I had to let go of my controlling, coping mechanisms enough to see and accept I was in a situation I could not improve on my own. I absolutely loved that Kathy emphasized intuition several times. For a long time, I felt I couldn't trust my intuition because it had led me to my life of alcoholism. The steps helped me distinguish my good instincts from bad ones or old ideas, and so far it seems like daily practice of the program is necessary for me to grasp that distinction. I'm sorry for such a long email. As you can see, the episode was extremely moving and beneficial to me. I've sent it to several friends who care about me and want to understand more about what I'm going through. Her story was so close to mine that I feel they will learn so much just from listening. I hope you and yours are well, and it's such a pleasure to hear you again. Sincerely, A.B. Thank you, A.B., for sharing your experience, for sharing your story and your progress. We have two shares from Alina, one about the episode about dry drunk behavior and one on prayer. Good morning. My name is Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 109, which was entitled dry drunk. I never really heard of the term until I came into Al-Anon. And even now it's a little bit blurry as to what it exactly means, but I get the gist of it. And I know that it had asked, you know, can Al-Anon exhibit similar symptoms? I feel for me, it can. I know that if I get too busy or too consumed with outside issues such as work or things going on with my life at home, I know that I can stray away from the program if I'm too caught up in those things. And I notice like a change in my mood and the way I process things and how things affect me as far as people and words and just life happening on life's terms. It always affects me differently if I'm not practicing my program. I know that I try to make it a part to meditate every morning. I do listen to the podcast when I'm getting ready for work and you know, I do reach out to my sponsor almost every day. And also I have a close Al-Anon friend that I talk to daily as well. Besides working the program as far as my steps and the reading and stuff like that. But I think I've shared before and I've talked to my sponsor that it's really hard to find balance sometimes. So maybe people can share on that, like how they find balance as far as working the program, not so much fitting it in, but more so as making time to, for me, I know that it's hard. I'll do so well writing in my journal that my readings, you know, are less and then I'm not really reading as much or I'm working really hard on my step work. And then maybe I'm not going to as many meetings or maybe my meetings and 
then I'm not really communicating or meeting with my sponsor enough. And so it's a lot to deal with. I find that for me, I just focus on a couple things, two or three things, and then the other things, and I kind of rotate them out. But I guess whatever works for me is what makes me happy. And I know that my sponsors related that to me as well. I thank you for letting me share. I wanted to share on episode 111, the topic was prayer. This is a challenging, I guess, thing for me. I guess in Al-Anon, it's been new and I can relate to being a little girl and praying for things and praying for what I wanted and not really understanding what it meant to actually pray. Our family wasn't really super religious. My background on my dad's side was Catholic and I did go to church and communion and stuff like that up until I think I was probably 10. But after that, my parents divorced and I didn't really continue with that. I lived with my mother and my dad was the alcoholic in the family and that just stopped for me. And I guess maybe I tried to believe in God and I just always questioned it. Like why, if he loves me or why would he make bad things happen? And as I grew up, I'm not saying I was discouraged by religion or anything, but I just didn't have a lot of faith and I didn't have a lot of hope. Even through adulthood and then coming into Al-Anon, we always talk about a higher power greater than ourselves and just trying to trust in him and realize that he knows what's best for us and that we really have no control and that we're powerless and that basically we can turn our will and our lives over. So that's a new concept for me in the last five years or so, but it has definitely helped and I do have a new outlook on it. And now when I pray for things, I pray for like guidance, strength, not to feel alone. I always express my gratitude and for the things that I have in my life. I don't know, just puts a better perspective on my day and my week and what's going on around me. But definitely something that is somewhat still new to me. So I always have to remember to pray about it when I'm worrying about something or something's bothering me or I'm not quite sure. Just pray about it. I don't have a God box yet and I keep thinking that I probably need one and my sponsor and I keep talking about it. And I think it's something that I definitely need to maybe think about more, try it, see see how it goes. I definitely like this topic. I like the topics that I struggle with. Everyone sharing kind of puts things in a little different light for me. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Alina, for sharing. The, the last song that you chose? The third song that I chose is Sitting by the Dock of the Bay. And the link that I gave you is just this wonderful video. It's by Otis Redding, but the video that I chose was performed on the 50th anniversary of the song's release and Mm. performed by Jack Johnson and then a whole bunch of other performers. Some of the lyrics just remind me of some really important elements of recovery. One lyric, I traveled 2000 miles from home just to make this dock my home. Is that right? I might've gotten that a little bit wrong. Anyway, anyway, But it reminds me of the failure of the geographic cure. You can go 2,000 miles and you're still sitting with yourself. That wherever you go, there you are kind of thing. And the other part that I really like is just that beautiful, easy whistling. The feeling is to me so joyful and calm and serene. This just lighthearted whistling and watching the tide roll in and then it's going to roll out again and watching what's going on around them. It's about working my program 
when I'm at my best and I'm not forcing solutions. I'm just sitting quietly observing what's going on around me and making the best choices for myself. Um, Not trying to do what, as the song says, what 10,000 other people are telling me to do. Then when I finally found this video, it just made me smile and made me so happy to watch this video with all these people singing the songs. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for taking the heavy lifting of the episode. I hardly had to say a thing, (laughs) which is sometimes unusual. Yeah, me too. For listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode may understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time <laughs>